Last week, as we gathered together, we began looking at John's gospel, the sixth chapter. And we had a conversation about fear. You see, Jesus, at the beginning of John 6, had done something rather incredible. There were 5,000 people out on this hillside, this mountainside, and it was a remote place. There weren't any Applebee's around. There were no chilies. There were no bakeries, no places where they could turn for food. And Jesus asked one of his followers, he asked this man by the name of Philip, where are we going to get bread to feed all these people? And Philip, like a lot of us, took stock of the situation. He looked around and saw the reality that was facing them. And the reality was this, not even six months' wages would be able to feed every single person who was there. And many times that's how we are in life. We look around us, right, and we see the shortage, we see the lack, we see what's missing or absent. We don't see things through the eyes of faith. But Jesus was able to take the meager resources of a young boy that that was there. He was able to take five barley loaves and two fish and multiply them in such a way as to feed 5,000 people. It was an incredible time. But following that, Jesus went up on the mountainside. He went up on the mountain to be alone with the Heavenly Father to spend some time in prayer, probably some time in in reflection, just recuperating and rejuvenating following that. But the disciples, they hop aboard a boat and they travel Uh, they began a journey to Capernaum. And as they're out upon the water, the waves get rough. The the wind kicks up and is violently blowing. It's dark. They're three to four miles from shore. It's a fear-inducing situation even for these seasoned fishermen. And Jesus in that moment comes to them walking on the water. And you would think, given all that has taken place earlier that day, that they would be comforted that they would be contented, that they would be at peace. I mean, if Jesus can feed 5,000 with these meager resources, imagine what he could do with a little wind and wave. But they didn't recognize him, Scripture says, and they were terrified. But Jesus said to them these words, It is I, do not be afraid. And last week, I know that many of you heard those words, and God, it felt like, was speaking directly to you. And many of you shared that last week. A number of you have contacted me this week to share that. And I'm so glad that God is working in your life, that he is dispelling the fear and the darkness, that he is moving in your life in a mighty way. But this morning, we're going to continue on, and we're going to look at what happens in the moments that follow on the next day. And it comes from John's Gospel, the sixth chapter. I'm going to be reading verses 24 through 35 this morning. And this morning, we're not going to be looking so much at the disciples as we are as to Jesus' interactions with the crowd, the masses, the, the big group that's following alongside, and they have an important conversation. And I'm trusting this morning that as we have this conversation and as we listen in to what Jesus talks about with the crowds, that God is going to do some movement in some of our lives as well, that there are many who are going to share with us today, again, ways that God is moving and working in their lives. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning for our gospel reading. As I said again, we're going to be reading John's gospel, the sixth chapter. I'm going to be reading verses 24 through 35. Hear now the word of the Lord. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? So that we may see it and believe you, what work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whomever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, open our eyes today that we may see and clog our ears that we might hear. And Lord, give us hearts that are soft, malleable, ready to receive your word, absorb your truth, and go and live it out to the honor and glory of your name. Lord, I ask this morning that you either speak through me or you speak in spite of me. But I know that regardless, as your word promises, your word will go forth and your people will be changed. So, Lord, do your work in us. Accomplish it through us in the days, the weeks, and the months to come. These things we ask, and these things we pray. It's in Christ's name, to his honor and glory, we ask all these things. And together, all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, sometimes the words that we say or the words that we speak fail to accurately convey that thing that we're hoping they'll convey. It can happen when the words that we use are only but a small approximation to what we're actually experiencing in life. For example, you might look at this beautiful sunset on an evening and try to tell someone about it the next day and say, last evening the sunset was so beautiful it looked as if an artist had taken every color on her palette and had swirled them together much like a cotton candy machine swirls together those beautiful strands of sugar in a wonderful way. Those words give an idea. They convey an image. They help us to picture or approximate that experience that we had just the evening before. Now, it doesn't accurately convey what took place. Someone may have a picture in their mind, but their picture may be very different than what we actually experience. Now, in other instances, words can be confusing. They might not only confuse us, but those who hear us speaking them. We might hear that word palette, for example, that word that I used just moments ago in reference to that flat, rigid panel that an artist often uses and spreads their paint upon before painting. But maybe some of you heard that word palette and your minds went in an entirely different direction. 
And you were thinking of a transport structure, something made of wood that's commonly maneuvered by a forklift or, or maybe even a pallet jack. Some of you were thinking back to that Pinterest project that you did where you took one of those pallets and you painted it like an American flag and stuck it out in your yard. Or maybe it happens so often when we use this word football. Depending on where a person's from, their frame of reference, football may have very different connotations for a person. I mean, for some, if I say football this morning, the thing that immediately comes to mind is that oblong ball where you have goalposts at the end of the field. There's a quarterback, a receiver, a tight end. There's maybe a lineman and a quarterback, and they're on opposing teams, and one team's trying to score a touchdown on the other, and if they don't, sometimes they settle for a field goal or they have to punt. But some of you, when I said that word football this morning, your mind went somewhere else. You thought of a circular ball. You thought of some players on the field that are referred to as strikers and midfielders and wing backs and center backs. And you're thinking about two teams that are trying to score, score a goal on one another, and instead of seven points, that goal counts for one, one single solitary point. Or maybe some of you, when you hear that word, you're thinking of Australian rules football, which is an entirely different thing altogether. But in each instance, when we use that same language, what ends up happening sometimes is we talk past one another. We talk past one another because we understand that word in different ways. And I think in some respects, that's what's happening in the latter half of this sixth chapter of John's Gospel. As we said, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people, and then his disciples board a boat and they cross over to the other side, to Capernaum. But then they encounter that storm and the wind and the waves. They're three miles from shore. And then Jesus shows up. They're terrified, but God intercedes. Jesus calms their fears as he comes aboard the boat. They arrive on the other side. And then as today's scripture unfolds, it's an entirely new day. There are entirely new things that Jesus and the disciples are facing the storm and the distance that they traveled, it didn't deter the crowds. It didn't keep those who had been following Jesus away. No, Scripture tells us they journeyed to the other side of the lake. They find Jesus on the other side of that body of water. And as they arrive, they have all manner of questions. How in the world did you get here, Jesus? How did you get from point A to point B so quickly? I mean, the last time we saw you, Jesus, you were headed up on the mountain. And then it got dark, it got windy, the storm assailed. How did you get to the other side so quickly? But those questions, John tells us, those questions mattered to that group far less than a more pressing question that was at hand. And that question was, Jesus, can we get some more free bread? Jesus, can we get some more freebies? And let's face it, who can blame this group? Imagine how much easier life would be if you just had this endless supply of bread showing up on your doorstep day after day. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to go to the grocery store? Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to go through that work of baking a loaf for yourself? I mean, life would be a lot easier. They're looking for someone to feed their hungry stomachs. They're looking for someone who's going to make life a whole lot easier. But Jesus is talking to them about a different type of bread. He's talking to them about a different type of hunger. 
He's talking to them about the deeper hungers that all of us face in life. And Jesus wanted to give them food that's going to last, not bread that's going to be fleeting, not bread that's going to spoil, not bread that's going to go bad. He wants to give them sustenance that's going to endure. He wants to give them and he wants to give us something that's going to feed the deep hungers of our hearts and our souls. And let's face it, each and every one of us do have some very deep hungers, don't we? Each of us have hungers in our hearts and souls that run much deeper than the churnings of our stomach at any given moment. Social scientists have identified what they believe to be three of those major desires. And they come down to three fundamental questions that most of us are asking in life. The questions of who am I? The questions of where do I fit in in life? And the question of why am I here? And I mean, if you think about it, these are the questions that have to do with identity and belonging and purpose. These, in many respects, are the deeper hungers that we all wrestle with. And in addition to these primary hungers, there are all these other lesser hungers that go along with them. The hunger for acceptance. The hunger for self-worth. The hunger for peace, for rest, for hope. And of course, that list could go on and on this morning, couldn't it? When we want to truly satisfy these hungers, oftentimes, though, we try to do it on our own. And when we try to satisfy our hungers, we look for some short-term answers. Maybe it's a relationship that will feel that relational hole and help define who I am at that given time. Or maybe we'll go off and we'll seek something that we feel like can satiate that, but it doesn't quite give us the satisfaction that we want. And we end up in this kind of hamster wheel where we keep experiencing these hungers and we keep seeking these short-term answers and then we end up saying like the Rolling Stones, we can't get no. Okay, cue the congregation. <laughs> we can't get no. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. There we go. And you know exactly what they're talking about. Sure, for a short time, we may find something that gives us meaning. For a short time, we may find something that gives us fulfillment. But then those things, they disappear. They dissipate. They go by the wayside. But we still seek oftentimes those short-term answers for those deep hungers that we're experiencing. And what it ends up like being is trying to feed a very hungry appetite with a box full of Twinkies. And you know what I'm talking about if you've ever tried to do that. For a time, I worked third shift. And that, shift to third shift, that swing to third shift was always a difficult one for me when I was on swing shift. I was always hungry, I just never seemed to sleep well, and I always tried to find a way to wrestle and deal with those hungers, that hunger for sleep, that hunger for food. But everything I tried to eat, it just didn't sit well, so I wanted something light, I wanted something that'd give me a burst, so most nights I started my day at work with some Twinkies and half a thermos of coffee. And you know where this is headed. About 3 a.m., I had this raging hunger in my gut. 
because those Twinkies didn't satisfy. And then I, about the same time, had this massive headache because the sugar wore off, as did the caffeine. It didn't fill that need that I had. No, those hungers, they returned with a vengeance because I looked for short-term solutions to much deeper problems. And that's why as I read John's Gospel, the sixth chapter, there's always one verse that sticks out to me. The people asked Jesus what God wanted them to be doing. If it's not this search for bread, Jesus, that we're to do, what is it that God wants us to be doing? And this is what Jesus says in verse 29. The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. In other words, the one thing that God the Father wants us to do is trust that Jesus is the one who can satisfy the deep hungers that we experience in life. And Jesus does provide what our hearts and souls long for. I mean, if we're hungry for identity, Jesus gives us new identity. He gives us the identity as children of God, amen? Children whom God has lavished His love upon. And if we're hungry to belong, if we're hungry to belong, Jesus too feeds that hunger. He welcomes us into the family, the family of God, His church, the body of Christ, and He allows us to live out that new identity in Christian community, one very much like this one. And if we're hungry for purpose, Jesus calls to participate in God's mission by being disciples of Jesus Christ who in turn make other disciples of Jesus Christ, cooperating with God in the work of redeeming, restoring, and renewing all of creation. I mean, talk about an incredible mission, an incredible purpose that God gives to us. You see, whatever that deeper hunger might be for you, Jesus feeds us. He feeds us through his Holy Spirit by way of the gospel. He accepts us as we are, which is an act of grace. He gives us value by telling us that we matter so much to him that he will die on our behalf to show God's love to us and reconcile us to a holy God. And he does just that. And he gives us peace as he establishes a new relationship between us and God the Father, but then also as he reconciles us to one another. And then he gives us rest. He gives us rest as he cares for our burdens, as we lift those things up to him in prayer. And in those moments when we don't know how to pray, Scripture says he even intercedes on our behalf. And then the resurrection hope of Jesus it fuels us with promise. It gives us assurance that no matter how dark and how difficult life may appear at times, there is nothing, not one thing in all of creation, not even death, that can overcome what God has done. He has achieved the ultimate victory, amen? No matter what our hearts, and no matter what our souls might be hungry for. Jesus provides us with what we need. Friends, what is it that you're hungering for? What 
What might be missing in your life that's keeping you from living that life to the full that Jesus has promised to those who follow him? This morning, if your answer is nothing, if you can truly say that nothing is missing and that your relationship with Jesus is strong, then you know what? I am so happy for you. That is a wonderful place to be where you can say, you know what? It is well with my soul. But even there, you have a job to do. You can praise God for the fact that all is well with your soul, but you also have the opportunity to introduce others to Jesus Christ so that it can be well with their souls. So you're not done yet. There's still a mission to do. But this morning, if you do have a hunger that you can't fill, a hunger that you've been trying to fill over the years, a hunger that you've been trying to fill over the course of your life, but you just can't seem to fill it, or you can't get that long-term satisfaction that you're seeking, I'd encourage you to do one of two things this morning. First, in a few moments, I'm going to pray, and I'd ask you to pray right along with me. Maybe just even saying the words that I do immediately following me, allowing it to become a sample prayer for you. Or maybe praying something very similar in your, in your heart, just as I'm praying that prayer. But then if you pray that prayer, I'm going to ask you in a few moments just to raise your hand, let us know so that a number of us can be praying for you. Okay? That's one thing you can do. The second thing that you can do is you can come and talk to me. You can come and talk to any of our staff. You can come and talk to any mature follower of Jesus Christ about these hungers that you have that you can't get any satisfaction for. But you can come and talk to us and we can talk about how a relationship with Jesus Christ will change your life, how he'll meet those needs, how he'll satiate those hungers, how he'll give you that life to the full that he promises and talks about. And I know personally for myself and I know on behalf of the staff I will say this, we'll be happy to introduce you to Jesus. I mean, we would love nothing more than to have our weeks this week filled with those conversations. I mean, there's no better thing that we could spend our time doing. And we'd also love to walk with you in the days following as you learn to read and study God's word for yourself as you get to know him better. We'd also love to help you cultivate that practice of prayer so you can talk to God on your own and begin to listen for God to speak back. But friends, I want to say this in closing. Bring whatever your hunger is to God in prayer. Keep pursuing him who is the bread of life. Because Jesus promises that when we trust in him, that when we trust in him, what our hearts, what our souls are deeply searching and longing for, we'll never have these hungers again. Because he is the bread of life. He is what we've been searching for. He is the one we've been seeking. Amen? amen. And amen. This morning, as I promised, I'd ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to pray for just a few moments. And maybe today you are someone who has these deep hungers. 
Maybe today you realize that you've sinned and fallen short of God's glory and you're in need of a Savior. If that's you this morning, as I pray, join with me in prayer. It can be repeating the words that I say. It can be just talking to God, sharing with Him what's on your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for providing the bread of life for me. I have deep hungers I've tried to fill. It's never worked out. Often when I do, I fall short of your glory. I sin. I make mistakes. I do things that violate your will and your way. But today, I cling to you. Today, I claim the bread of life as my own. Save me. Fill my deepest needs. Help me to know that I'm your beloved child. Help me to know that my sins have been forgiven. Give to me the promise of eternal life. These things I pray. This morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed a prayer, either that one or one very similar to it, would you just slip your hand up this morning just to let me know so I can be praying for you? Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see those hands. You can put them back down. Gracious God, I thank you for the work that you've been doing this morning. For these lives that have been changed. For the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love. Those seeds that have been sown. Continue to accomplish your work in us and through us in the days to come. And Lord, for those that have raised their hands this morning, I pray that today would be a day of salvation, a day of rejoicing, a day where their lives would be changed. And that the rest of the day, that the rest of this week, the rest of this month, it would just be totally different for them. It would be as if they are awakened to a new reality. Because that's what they are. They are new creations in Christ. Your work is being done in them, and we give you thanks and praise for that. It's in Christ's name and to his honor and glory we ask all these things. And together, all God's people said,